0: So we're going to try to get it to work a different way today. Amen? Amen. God is good. Let me get settled into the pulpit here. Are you guys warm? Is it warm in here? Is it hot in here? Yeah, Andy, go kick some air on. Um, you know, we're in that weird time of year where you don't have to use the gas and you don't have to use electricity. But then it gets warm like all of a sudden. Stop breathing. Y'all making it hot in here. But uh, we want you to be comfortable. So we're going to be finishing up 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3 today. It's the last of the Thessalonians. And I entitled this, Where Has America's Work Ethic Gone? A little disclaimer. I'm not talking about any of you. We've got the work little church I've ever seen. Uh, We don't have a work ethic problem. Uh, Christianity per se doesn't have a work ethic problem, but I'm not addressing the church with this. I'm addressing our nation as a whole. I mean, everywhere you go, there's a help wanted and in some places you can't even get service because they can't get people to work. Some say it's because of COVID-19. And stimulus checks that made it easy to stay home and made many Americans lazy. You know, they like being taken care of. I don't believe that was the master plan to get us ready for a government takeover. But I do believe it did play into the hands of those who want to see America turned into a communist state. It's out there. But I honestly believe it goes much deeper than that. There's a couple things to pay attention to and we often don't look at. You've heard me mention it probably more than once. But prayer was taken out of our public schools over a decision. It was Engel versus Vitale in 1962. Then in Abington School District against Schrapp, Schrapp, whatever that is, in 1963, the U.S. Supreme Court established that an official state school prayer stood in violation of the First Amendment Establishment Clause, and that Bible readings and other state school-sponsored religious activities were prohibited. Remember, this is a nation that began using the Bible as a main textbook to teach our children. Taking prayer out of the school led to a demise of our schools. We have taken away morals and values and replaced them with sex education and gender identity. Can you even imagine asking a person back in 1963 about gender identity? They would have looked at you like, have you gone mad? There's boys and there's girls. There's men, there's women. There's two. What are you talking about? gender, Gender identity. They had no idea. And I got a... Honestly, say in 1962 and 63, I think Christians were sleeping. I think we were just kind of in a daze and thought, "Yeah, if they want we'll to take prayer out of school, it's it's all right." You know, school, state, you know, it's it's okay. No, it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay at all. Do the recent. Ec- ep- Economic woes, pandemics, and natural disasters prove that God has removed his blessing or hedge of protection from America. A lot of people ask that. After all, God had established Israel as a nation and God warned them about the nation's blessings of obedience as well as national curses for disobedience. God warned them that if they rejected God, he would reject them. And they would, and eventually did, end up in bondage to other nations. They refused to listen to the many of the prophets that God sent them, warning them to repent and face or face the judgment of God. God's words for ancient Israel, I believe, apply to every nation of the world today, especially a nation that was founded on biblical principles. You should read, as your homework, Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to give you just a little bit of the first part, which is the good part. Verses 1 through 14 is all the blessings, and it's incredible. I mean, you get excited when you read the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy, if you are obedient. And it applies to us today. Deuteronomy twenty-eight one says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I would command you today, that the Lord your God would set you high above all the nations of the earth. That's what the United States has done and has been. However, these blessings are conditional. There must be obedience. Listen to how God blesses a nation. Deuteronomy 28 verse 3 says, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. No matter where you go, you will be blessed. Verse 4, blessed shall be the fruit of your body. That's our kids. Bless the produce of your ground. That's the increase of your herds. That's our work. Increase your cattle and your offspring, all your flocks. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Verse six, blessed you shall be when you come in and blessed you shall be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing of your storehouse and to all to which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. I believe this is exactly why America the Beautiful has been such a great nation for the past 200 years. Because we believe Deuteronomy 28. We believe it. And yes, you know, we have Christ Jesus. We know that he forgives us our sin and washes away. Does that eliminate all the Old Testament? No. We still adhere to what the Old Testament has told us how to live. How we should live. In fact, Jesus even expounded on it and even increased it in our day. Today, we are hard pressed to find any nation living in obedience to God. Many Christians who live in these nations like ours, where God's own children live, they are living, or at least we are trying to live, in obedience. But we, too, may suffer someday because of the depravity and sinfulness found in our own country, in our own nation. I fear that we are headed for a time of trouble that many of us have never seen in our lifetime. A time of trouble where even the nation's leaders will tremble and live in fear. All these blessings the Lord has done for us as a nation will be undone by the Lord our God because we as a nation have turned away from him and have forsaken him. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because today in our society, what used to seem good is now bad. And what was once considered to be off limits to talk about evil things are things now that are deemed good in the public's eye. We need to pay paying attention. Listen to Isaiah 520 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe in the Hebrew, almonio means calamity, disaster, tribulation. For your homework this week, people, I really do want you to read Deuteronomy 28, especially the last half. When you first read it, it will frighten you to see the wrath of God on a nation who willfully disobeys. Well, what about us? What are we to do when all is bad is coming upon us? Well, we have to pray. We have to pray for an awakening, a revival for our country. And we need to live without fear. And remember, we serve a just and fair God. Do you remember the story where Abraham was bargaining with God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember? He started out by saying, hey, if you can find 50 people, would you destroy it? If there are 50 righteous people living in this town, would you destroy it? God, would you destroy your own? And God said, no, if you can find me 50. God knows how many people were there. And Abraham continued to negotiate it all the way down to Genesis 18, verse 32, 33. He says, then he said to the Lord, Lord, be, Lord, be angry. Let not the Lord be angry. I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 could be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Verse 33, so the Lord went his way and soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. He couldn't even find 10. But the thing that the point of the story, the moral of the story is, is God will protect us. He will take care of us. He will protect us. That's what the story is about, that his protection, yes, the nation's going to pay. And I believe God's hand of protection, I believe with the great catastrophes that we see with storms. Have you ever seen storms like this, devastating complete communities the way we do now? I believe that God has had his hand of protection upon us for for all these years. But I don't want us to be disheartened because he's going to take care of us. We have to trust him and we have to know his word and we have to have his word in us. We do not have to live in fear. And yes, things can get really, really tough on us as Christian believers. As a community, we all may be living right here in this building. How do we know? We won't be. We will gather together as a family if disaster hits and we will take care of one another. That's what we do. That's what God has given us the ability to do with his help. So where has America's work at gone? Without God, who becomes our moral authority? People become their own standard of what is right and what is wrong in their own eyes. I'm sure that some of you younger people in the workplace, I say, well, if it's working for you, it must be okay. That's the attitude. If it's working for you, it must be right. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. The Apostle Paul is asking them, the church in Thessalonians, to pray for them. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Verse two, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith. Boy, do we need to pay attention to that. We need to be praying for God's hand of protection. Because not all have faith. Verse three, but the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Verse four. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you will do and will do the things we commanded you. That's a huge compliment to a church. We know that you're going to study the word. We know that you're going to do the word. Verse five. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, into the patience of Christ. Verse six. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds pretty, pretty important, doesn't it? We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you redraw, withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he, which he received from us. Wow. Verse seven, for you yourselves know How you ought to follow us, we were not disorderly among you. This is these two scriptures are very important to pay attention to. If we have somebody in the church that is not walking according to the statues of Christianity, I can't think of anything right now, because y'all guys are just great. But we are not to hang out with them. And this goes on a little, a little later, he's going to tell us, you don't, you don't disqualify him. You don't, you know, throw him out, but you don't hang out with him. You let him know that he is walking in sin, that what you're doing is not right. But you're still my brother in Christ. It's important that we understand that. He said that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, not according to the traditions which we received from us. But then he goes on in verse 7, he brings it into the leadership. He says, for you yourselves know you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. This is incredibly important for leadership, and we as leadership must get this as a leader. Now, the next few things I'm saying, I'm talking here mostly to my men's group that I praise God for every day. You guys are awesome. But I have to hold myself to a higher standard. If I lie, if I cheat, even unwillingly or unexpectedly, in other words, not meaning to, like saying something stupid, i got to be so careful. As a leader, I have to be careful because the things that I say affect the whole group negatively. It's a standard that leaders have to hold. Can I get an amen? amen? Somebody better agree with me. Because the Bible tells us we're held to a higher standard. We're going to see that. It affects a whole group if I, if I start to respond negatively. If I slip up and start using my old language. My presence should cause others to want to cuss less. And not to use foul language about, around me. Out of respect of who I am supposed to represent. You know, you guys don't understand, but I get this all the time when I go into the jail. Because they talk like a bunch of sailors until I walk in. And then, I'll, oh, sorry, sorry, Pastor. Oops, sorry, Pastor. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. You know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that they actually, my presence causes them to clean up their language for a few minutes that I'm in their presence. And I have to be real careful not to fall into their language and to be just like them. Because I swear it could just it could give somebody a complete wrong idea of who I am and who I represent. So as leaders, you have to be careful and you have to hold yourself to a higher accountability. Look at James uh, 3, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He says, my brethren, do not do, do not let. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Bob, that should scare you to death when I say you're now the leader of our Bible study. Because you know what? It matters. It it does matter. When we take a leadership position in the church and you start teaching others, you got to be sure that you're, because you're you're held to a higher standard. God sees you differently. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Bob, you know I'm not perfect. Is that <laughs> yeah, just like those cookies. I am not perfect, but I do, I do work hard trying to bridle my tongue. Look at verse 3. He says, indeed, we put bits in horse's mouths that they may obey us and they turn their whole body. That little bitty bit, little three-inch bit in a horse's mouth can turn this this 2,000-pound beast. He says, look at ships, verse 4, although they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Kind of a weird analogy, but I'm like the rudder of a ship. And if you got a bad rudder, you got to be careful of the direction the church is going. Verse 5: so that so, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. The tongue is just a little rudder of the ship, and we have to learn how to control it. And as leaders, we need to even work harder to control it. Let's go back to Thessalonians chapter chapter three, verse eight. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden for any of you. I really need to tie that back in with verse seven. He says, for we ourselves know, we ought not know how you ought to follow us. For we are not disorderly among you, nor did we nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to you. The Apostle Paul was saying we worked. You guys didn't have to pay us anything. We worked hard. Not because verse nine, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. In other words, we all need to work together. We need to be doing this together. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Well, that's one that you ought to pay attention to. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about work. I think there was a problem in this Thessalonian church There were a few who used the fact that Jesus was coming, that they would just sit around and wait, get the remote, get some Twinkies and just hang out. They didn't want to go to work. They didn't want to do anything. Jesus is coming. Why should we do anything? Let's expect others in the church to supply our needs. As Christians, we should be a hot commodity in the working world. Can I get an amen? Amen. Literally, employers should be calling the church saying, you got anybody to work? Why are you calling me? Because Christians work hard. Christians show up on time. Christians don't steal. You know, come on. Do you have anybody that needs a job? Because it matters. How we live makes a difference in our world. But there were a few people in this church that were like freeloaders. They were, you know, Jesus is coming. I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait for him to come. I want to read to you Ephesians 6, 8, 6, 5 through 9. I'm going to read it to you out of the Message Bible because I really like it. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters. Okay, who are the servants? We are. Okay. It says, servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Do, don't Just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. Work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no master, that no matter what happens to be, no matter who happens to be giving orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master regardless of whether you are slave or free. But then he goes on, on verse 9, to talk to the masters. He says, masters, it it is the same with you. No abuse. Please, no threats. You and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. It's really important to pay attention to our work ethics And how we work. When we go to work, we're just not doing the work for the man. We're working for God. We're doing it as unto God. I want to be the best at what I do. Let's go back to Thessalonians verse 11. He says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, we don't have any of that in this church, but he had, you, you understand what he's addressing here. There are some of you who are not, who are walking in a disorderly manner. That They're not working at all. And they're expecting the church to take care of them. Verse 12, now those who are such, we command and exhort and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. He's kind of slapping them down a little bit there. Stop doing it, go to work in quietness and eat your own food. Verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not, do not grow weary in doing good. Does anybody here ever get weary in doing good? I do, I do. And I have to pray and ask God to forgive me. I know that what I'm doing is doing good. I'm doing, good for the, I'm doing it for the kingdom of God's sake. But it's important. Verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Wow. Verse 15. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. These are difficult things for a church to understand. If we got somebody in the church that's left his wife and now living with somebody else and he's hanging out, he's part of our men's group, guys, I would say not to be part of our group. We love you, you're our brother, but you're living in sin. This is not, this is disordered and it's disorderly to the entire church. It's kind of like a cancer. We have to be careful and and pay attention and address the things that we see in our brothers, in our sisters. We don't just cut them off. We admonish them as a brother. But no, you're not going to go on this fishing trip with us. Well, why is that? Well, because you're living in sin. You're living in absolute sin. You've left your wife. You're over here living with this woman. You haven't even divorced your wife yet. These are things that pastors don't like to talk about. You're all going... Like, I said that in church? We love that person. We pray with that person. We try to admonish him as a brother, as a sister. But we have to be very careful. You you hang out with cancer, and guess what? It's going to spread. It's going to spread. We have to pay attention to what's going on in the body of Christ. He says, verse 16... Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The solution of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The last scripture. The last scripture about work has always given me pause, this one that I'm about to read. But it's only because culturally we are so different than what I'm about to read to you. This, I'm going to give you something at Jesus' own words. I want us to look at Luke 17. We're going to read 7 through 10. He says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant, when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat. Okay, here's a little disclaimer. In our culture, in our society, we would say yes. Yeah, you've worked hard. Come on in, sit down and eat with us. But we have to understand what Jesus is saying in their culture, what he's saying in this time. That isn't what you would do at all. He says in verse 8, Wouldn't you rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me until I have ate and drank. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he say to the servant because he did what he was told to do, what would he say? Would he say thank you? Would he say he's doing a good job? You read this and you kind of go, whoa, it's kind of mind blowing. Like, well, yes, of course I would. What Jesus is trying to tell you If it's your job to do, you just do it. It's not about the thanks that you're about to get. In this culture, in this time, a hired servant, when they worked in the field, when they come in the field, the first thing they do is they clean themselves up. Then they go and prepare the dinner for the master. The master comes in, sits down and eats and drinks. He takes care of all of his needs. When the master's done, then that person goes to eat. Is the master supposed to say to that person, thank you? Well, in our culture, yes, you would. But in their culture, no. It wasn't necessary that you thank that person. The person was doing their job. Does that make sense to you? Verse 10 says, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is what we should say as a servant of God. We don't do what we do for God in order to get thanks here on earth. We do it for God because it's what we do. It's who we are. I am an unworthy servant, but I thank God that I'm able to do what I do. That's the attitude that we're supposed to have. This was Jesus himself trying to explain to us. We don't do what we do. So you're trying to get a pat on the back. So you're you're trying to be a really good servant in people's eyes. We're trying to be a good servant in God's eyes. Here's a couple of notes out of this scripture. Minimum requirement is maximum obedience. Minimum requirement is maximum obedience. That's Christianity. Minimum requirement, maximum obedience. It is impossible to do more than what is required. As a Christian, it's impossible to do more than what is required for us to do, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our friends, with our family, with people we love, people we know. There is never an occasion for the Lord to thank me since he is worthy of all that I do for him. Wow, that's pretty heavy thinking, huh? There's no reason for the Lord to thank me for what I do because it's what I do for him. And I am not worthy for him to thank me for what I do. He died on a cross for me to have freedom to have sin. An idle time is not become, becoming to a servant of the Lord. Did I miss one? Yeah. It is God's place to give commandments and my place to obey them. Think about that. It's God's place to give commandments and it's my place to obey them. And an idle time is not becoming to a servant of the Lord. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to rest. Rest. It's okay to rest, it's okay to recoup. We need to have a day of rest. I still try to take Mondays as my day of rest. I I fail, constantly. But it's important to rest and we need our rest. It's important that we pay attention. But just because we're Christians and we're doing what's right and we're living right, that doesn't mean you get a brownie point. That doesn't mean you get a big star. You're doing what you're supposed to do. This is who we are as Christians. This is how we live. And this is what other people are supposed to see, that how we live. You guys are really quiet. Really quiet. Dennis Baker gave me that last scripture. Okay, you can blame him. No, I'm just teasing. But he did. But it's important because it does kind of give you pause. You read that and go, hey, when someone works hard for me, I thank them. And I do. I'm paying them. But I always thank them, too. That's our culture. In the culture that Jesus was writing this, it wasn't that way at all. This is their job, and it's what they do. And they do it because it's their job. And, of course, we're thankful for people who do their job. And I know that Jesus was thankful for people who took care of him, too. Tony, could you come on back up? So we're leaving the Thess- Thessalonian church. I've been praying about and asking the Lord, where do you want to go from here? Any ideas? I was kind of thinking about maybe West. Hebrews. Because Hebrews, really good coffee. Yeah. That's the only Hebrew joke you'll get. You better enjoy it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll pray about it this week and see where we go next week. But we'll pick a new book and we'll study into that book. But there's a lot to be said in the church world about our work ethic. And I think, especially in this church, we have a great, earth, great work ethic. You guys are always at work. You're always trying to help. And I appreciate this church so very much. But as a nation, as a whole, you can see what we're talking about. People just don't want to go to work anymore. Well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be rich. Okay. That's what I want to be. I want to be rich. I want to have a big house and nice stuff. And Well, how are you going to do that? I don't know. Somebody's got to give it to me. There's a whole generation out there that thinks that we're supposed to give everything to them. And it's concerning the children that are being raised up are gonna be running this country. I thank God for the young people I have in here. I really do. Because this country is gonna be in your hands in a very, very short period of time. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to finish this book today. Father, if there's anybody's heart that feels a little heavy because I think, wow, you really capped on work. Father, put them at ease. You're the master. We're the servant. Everything we do, Father, is for you. Let our lives speak loudly of who we are in Jesus Christ. So that others will know how we live and what we live for. Father, I ask that you bless your people, protect your people. Father, those that can stay, we're going into a potluck right after service. Father, bless the food. Bless all the hands that have been in there preparing, taking care of things. Father, bless them, protect them. this food to give us strength and energy to meet the rest of the day in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys.